everybody and welcome to another episode of Do You Know What? I'm Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, the Chief Executive Officer of Liberal Judaism. And as is one of my favourite things to do on a rainy afternoon, I am joined on our virtual studio couch with the wonderful Leo Mindell and the even more wonderful Rebecca Singerman Knight. Hey Leo, how are you doing? Very well. First billing, you see that, Rebecca? Much more important I than got, you are. I, I got an even more wonderful, which I have noted and banked. Leo. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we normally see how many uh, Leo is correct and probably I won't get many of those today. <laughs> no, I doubt it, Leo. That's a kind of once in a lifetime accolade. And Rebecca, how are I'm you? I'm very well, Charlie. But more importantly, how are you? What have you been up to? Have you been to any Downing Street parties recently? Um, well, this year, <laughs> not last year. I should make that very, very clear. clear. Uh, probably by the time this podcast comes out, it will be old news. But um, at the moment when we are recording it is on the morning after the night before so to speak when uh, the party at uh, Downing Street has from the year before is all over the news with the we were socially distanced we didn't eat wine and cheese video that's what Rebecca Mm. is referring to but actually I was at a Downing Street party since our last (laughs) uh, podcast for Hanukkah lighting the candles in Trafalgar Square and today I'm off to Westminster Abbey it is all go I think this year for Hanukkah everybody well not that the Christmas Carol concert is for Hanukkah we should be clear we haven't quite entered that sphere but um, I think people want to get out I think people are even if it's socially distanced and masks on and facing London in the cold rain do want to be I think we should just actually Charlie give a really massive shout out to you because you were the first woman and the first progressive Jew to be invited to light the Hanukkah candles is that correct? Thank you Rebecca Yes, How it did is that correct. Happen? Can you tell I mean, us a little bit about what the background there? I mean, where was Chief Rabbi Mervis? I, I mean, mean was years, he washing years his hair that very day? Very hard work. And look, for the last fifteen years, it's been the remit of um, Chabad of the um, more orthodox um, sphere of. Judaism. And I think the JLC, the Jewish Leadership Council, took a very brave step this year and decided that they needed to show that they're an organisation that represents all of Jews. And um, in order to do that, we need to be very visible in showing that there are different types of Jews. And in terms of how did that happen and how did it get to be me, I'm really conscious that I am sort of standing on the shoulders of many people who went before me who actually really did fight to be seen and heard and I'm kind of the lucky person that gets to do the representation in the end you know we've Mm. been working very hard at this for a long time to say it is not that liberal Judaism is on Mm. the edge actually we're we're mainstream in the sense that we represent one of the faces of Judaism in this country and I'm really proud that we we finally are being recognized as such and very pleased to be delivering that on behalf of and we're very proud to be sharing a co uh, are you are you the podcaster's co-host Charlie It was brilliant. I was really over the moon when I saw that. So well done. Huge mazel tops. Thank you. I've had some really lovely messages from all realms of the Jewish community. It Um, was just excellent to see. It was excellent to see. It was a busy week for you because you not only did you uh, light the Hanukkah candles, not only did you go to Downing Street, you also met the president of Israel the same week, wasn't it? It was the same week. It was was a very busy week and it continued really. And that's kind of a great segue into um, our guest today, who is 
the rather lovely Cole Morton, um, who I also saw this week <laughs> at one of the many parties that I was at. Cole uh, is a fellow presenter with me at Pause for Thought. Well, actually, we're not on at the same time of the day or even on the same weeks. <laughs> we both get to have that fun. Um, I get to be on in the middle of the night and you get to be on early in the morning, don't you, Cole? Yeah, well, not that early. Uh, 20 past nine. Hello, by the way. <laughs> Hello, Cole. Thank you for joining us. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> it's lovely to meet you. It's nice to be among people who are nice to each other. There's not a lot of that going on in the world at, today. <laughs> oh, as, wait, wait till we, we get talk. started, Cole. <laughs> I think actually that's a good point, actually, Cole. We are, <clears throat> as a podcast, quite nice. Oh, we try to be. Well, I'm, I'm super nice to Charlie and Rebecca. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to establish in my mind the hierarchy of wonderfulness, Leo. I've got you at the top at the moment. <laughs> no, 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 no. But Rebe- no, she Rebecca's said even climbing. more wonderful, Cole. Pay oh, attention. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and you, you got rather lovely. <laughs> Yeah, so. I'll, I'll settle for that, Charlie. I will settle for that. But, you know, do well on the podcast and it might, you know, it might mm-hmm. grow. Mm-hmm. Um, a boy can dream. So, Cole, you and I met in a, really, as I was just starting out to do little bits of media stuff. Mm. And we were on the big questions together. I know why I was there. Maybe you can tell our listeners why you were there. I don't really remember, to be honest, Charlie. I was on the big questions quite a few times in those days as a sort of talking head. I had just written a book called uh, Is God Still an Englishman? Um, How the British Lost Their Faith But Found New Soul. And that was that was really a book about the changes in uh, particularly English religious spirituality and culture over the last 30 or 40 years. So I was probably saying something not very perceptive based on that text I think. Well it must have been perceptive enough that I then asked you to come and speak on our biennial conference and you were yeah. in discussion with Rabbi David Goldberg, uh, of blessed memory mm. and I remember it being quite a wonderful conversation actually. Well if we're talking about hierarchies of wonderful, he was a wonderful man and that was a wonderful conversation and you know being able to come to the biennial and do a sort of chat with David and meet people and experience things I'd not experienced before. That was such a blessing to me and I'm, I'm very grateful. It, it was quite influential in a lot of ways. How long ago was that? that? Weekend. Oh, now there's a question. Five or six okay. years, Charlie, or, or, or before yeah, that? Yeah, I think something like that was... Uh... Yeah, about coming up to six years, I guess. Yeah. We were talking about this. I mean, the, the book sort of sets out to say, you know, the, the kind of old imperial certainties of, of faith in, in Britain have gone and, and look at where we are now. And at that time, the surveys were saying there were 26 million people, I think, in England particularly who believed in a higher power of some kind but were not affiliated with church, temple or mosque. And so it was really exploring who those people were and how we relate to them as people of, of belief, Really? What is your own faith, Cole? Just for our listeners. Oh, now there's a complicated question, <laughs> Rebecca. Can I give you just like a, a tiny little biography? Yes, basically, do. I was raised in an atheist socialist household. And my background was that my grandparents were Salvation Army, which was kind of where the atheist socialism came from in a way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I had this uh, really quite dramatic conversion to a very severe form of evangelical charismatic Christianity as a teenager, mm. and I spent some years as a missionary. In oh, fact. Wow kind of complicated thing to have been but we'll come to that maybe and then really fell out of love with that Uh, I spent a number of years writing about the Anglican Church for the Church Times and that will do your faith in there's no question (laughs) of it Um, and then I just had 
actually a, a, a progression where I lost my faith completely and then moved into another space of understanding that what I do kind of instinctively believe in is is beyond the things that I was brought up in. And uh, I've moved into a place of understanding that there are wisdoms and insights and beautiful moments to be had in other traditions and faiths and paths, whatever you want to call them. I had a bit of a blinding moment actually in Jerusalem in 1999 to that end. Mm where I just it doesn't it's not going to sound particularly profound this but you have to understand that it came out uh, came out of having been a really closed evangelical Christian I mean theologically closed I found myself having kind of lost my faith standing in Jerusalem thinking that here within a couple of hundred yards of where I was standing were the great stories of Christianity Judaism and mm. Islam had all taken place within a couple of hundred yards of where I stood you know the, for me the, the temple curtain being torn in two but obviously Abraham and Isaac and also Muhammad ascending to heaven. All those stories took place in that location. So for me, as a visitor there, there was just a profound sense that there's some sort of fractured conversation going on between humanity and the divine, whatever that is. And it was kind of unignorable. So it led me back into a kind of post-church faith, really. Wow. That's a complicated answer, isn't it? But you did I did ask. ask. I'm, and I'm actually very glad I did, because that was really interesting. So thank you for that. The evangelical, when you became a sort of, you had your evangelical moment as a teenager, was that one of the those kind of preachers that used to go around and draw huge crowds in the 80s? Or... <laughs> yeah, 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 was... yeah, yeah. Actually, it had, it had the opposite effect oh, right. on me. So I was, a, I, I was a reporter on the Walthamstow Guardian. I would have been 17 or 18, can't remember. This big uh, preacher, Luis Palau, an Argentinian guy okay. who, was, who was being kind of groomed to be the next mm. Billy Graham, came to a tent behind Walthamstow mm. Town Hall. And when I say tent, I mean mm. it was massive. Uh, and I went to try and interview him and I hated the experience. He turned up in a limo, he had these bodyguards, and he was horrible. And I listened to his message and thought, that's nothing to do with mm. me. And then the following week... A bloke pitched up whose name was Eric Delve, who was um, the English version of that. But he was a lovely, humble man. And he had like the comic timing of Tony Hancock. He could tell a story. <laughs> and I've, I've always, you know, I've always like been drawn to storytellers. Yeah. And he was an incredible storyteller. I was completely bowled over by what he had to say. And, and so I went to interview him, found him compelling. And he, he kind of drew me into it, really. Eric, I should say, later gave up all those aspirations to be Billy Graham and went off to be be a really wonderful local priest mm. in Merseyside and now now down in Kent. He's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. So he was the guy who actually sort of got you into yeah. Christianity. Mm. Yeah. And it was his compassion and his humour and his insight and his kind of maverick quality. All of these things, which I later found were in quite short supply <laughs> among some of the people that I was with. But anyway, he, he, he was lovely. He was lovely. So, so I got started that way and then you know, you sign up and they send you to a local church and away you go, yeah. really. It's interesting, though, because what you do now, you are in a world where, on one hand, there's little religion, like broadcasting. On the other hand, you kind of are in the religious bits of broadcasting, mm. but not in an institutional way. So faith has kind of been present for you or religion or something in every bit of your of your story really and and now yeah. you're telling stories as well yeah i was just reflecting on when i was talking about eric that i'm sort of trying to do the same thing i mean richard richard dawkins 
says uh, quite rightly that you are you know you are born by accident into the tradition that you're born into and and so that's that's why I answered your question Rebecca by telling you what my family background was because that's the that's the stuff that I was accidentally pitched into from birth and then it's a question of what you do with it and for me a lot of the values that I learned through socialism through the Salvation Army through my grandparents then through actually that whole kind of wholehearted throw yourself at it kind of attitude of of uh, evangelicalism a lot of those things I carry forward certainly that thirst for social justice but then it kind of broadens out to a desire to understand how people connect and to explore connection with people uh, and understand how we ourselves connect to the to each other to the uh, to nature to ourselves and to the divine and all of that um so that's what i do in my work um i should for those who don't know i should probably say so i divide my time up i spend some of the time writing cover interviews uh for a you magazine which is the magazine of the mail on sunday with which we're going to talk about we are yeah. definitely coming back to talk about this right okay well that's with famous people and then i spend some of my time writing and presenting documentaries for radio four and then i spend some of my time doing books and podcasts elsewhere um uh, so we'll talk about that as well i'm sure and i live down on the coast and i play in a band and everything i do really is i suppose about trying to explore the connection between humans so you say you live down on the coast whereabouts are you Cole as I look out the window I am in Eastbourne with the South Downs just in the distance nice yeah, it's lovely <laughs> we had we had too many children um, 19 years ago and so we moved here to get a bigger yes, house yes I understand you have triplets is that right yeah yeah we had three at Gosh. once and we have another another mm. one as well so uh, we couldn't afford anywhere in London so and we'd always wanted to live by the sea so we came here wow it's a, it's a nice part as you say and uh, you've got Pevin Bay, God's Waiting Room, just up the road from you. <laughs> See, all the God's Waiting Room stuff, Leo. I mean, there is an element of truth in it. But on the other hand, it's really useful for keeping too many visitors out. You know, <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like the fact that it's quiet and beautiful down here. Um, and, you know, if you don't want to come, you can stay where you are, mate, frankly. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. I love that part of the world. It's my favourite. You do, um, don't you? Yeah. I do. I really, really, it's more... Yeah, I just like being by the sea, actually. Kind of I like, like you, I have a dream that one day I might live by the sea but at the moment I have to uh, settle for the river Thames well there's something to be said for that well let's start with your most recent book then which has the sea right on its front cover what the lightkeeper you mean yeah Uh, it's a novel it's my first novel took 14 years to write Um, alongside some other books in the meantime but that is what do I say that's a story of love hope faith grief loss and longing it's set at Beachy Head which as you know Charlie is about 10 minutes from here and uh, it's set in a real life lighthouse called the Beltute Lighthouse which exists on the edge of a 400 foot drop and it's about a set of characters who like the lighthouse are suspended really between moments in their lives the lighthouse sits there on the cliff when you're in the top of the lighthouse looking out it's almost like you're suspended between the sky and the sea and it's about a collection of people who find themselves in that landscape who are caught in moments in their life and need to move on but are not quite sure how to do it particularly there's a young woman called Sarah who's doing IVF fertility treatment and she's caught in that awful moment which I remember well because we did it where she's had her last go she's got no more money and she's got two weeks to wait to see if it works and that is terrible it seems to go on for 200 Mm. years and that's where Sarah is at the start of the book and there's something a bit autobiographical then 
included in there. It's not a memoir. Yeah, no. I mean, it's not a memoir. A lot of it is written from position of wanting to write about stuff that really happens, but one step removed. So I would say, people say, are you any of the characters in the book? No, but there are little bits of me in every single character mm. of the book uh, and people that I know. It's not autobiographical, but it is written from a position of knowing what I'm talking about. And when was about, that published? That is that quite a recent novel, Carl? You know, it was my good fortune to be published just before and during right. lockdown, wasn't it? So that was great for getting people into bookshops yeah. <laughs> uh, it has got some fabulous reviews I'm happy to say Matt Haig likes it Anthony Horowitz likes it Jane Fallon likes it so oh, it's you going can on my Amazon wish go, list go and have a look definitely mm. it sounds good, good. No, it sounds good. good it's short even better <laughs> it's short but I mean answering your question Charlie that is also a story about faith and belief and the complication of miracles and whether miracles apply in real life and fragmentation I mean that's come up so many times today yeah. already yeah no I think that's right and, and whether or not we can believe believe in the next step so there's a direct parallel that gets made between Sarah who is my, my main character who's in her 30s a teacher from East London who's at this moment and uh, I also dwell on the story of Abraham and Sarah ah. all those years ago like what you did there yeah well thank you thank you and I hope for hope in an un, unexpected way so did Matt Haig so did Matt Haig I, I'm not going to embarrass Charlie by asking if she's read it yet she, um, she's only, only had I've it I've only week. had it a few days yeah <laughs> a week um, but a week, I will mate. A, week a week already a week already <laughs> When I stop being invited. When you stop hobnobbing with oh, the rich and gosh. the famous and the powerful. <laughs> but talking of rich I and famous and powerful. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're the only famous person I really want. She says yeah, that yeah, to yeah. everyone. I'm well aware. I've been listening. <laughs> uh, but you have met an awful lot of pe- famous. Did you say that to people. Boris? <laughs> I want to be you're my favourite person. Yeah. But when you were having your cheese and wine, did you say to Boris, you're my favourite famous person? <laughs> so can we get this right? Cole, have you met Boris? Yeah, several times. Charlie, you met Boris? Yeah. Rebecca, have you met Boris? I have met Boris and I feel left out. Have you met Boris? So Leo? you're the only one here that hasn't met Boris? Yes, I've met <laughs> Boris. I've obviously been hiding under a rock somewhere. <laughs> Cole, I want to come back to, mm. um, I, I can't remember who you were about to interview when we were at Biennial, but since then you have mm. interviewed so many different people in fact i saw this week uh, aj from uh, strictly but mm-hmm. also um, you know joan collins mm-hmm. um all sorts of people who's been the best uh, what's your favorite give story us give us some gossip oh. <laughs> who's your favorite is it and this is for well, you magazine well, mainly is it i've been an interviewer for about 10 or 15 right. years so for the, for the mail on sunday also you know before that for the guardian and before that for the independent i should i should say you know that i spent the best part of 20 years working for liberal newspapers writing for increasingly tiny audiences <laughs> yeah. give me a specific question that's not how interviews work Charlie come on give me a specific question who is your favourite who's your favourite oh, who's favorite. your favourite person or actually two questions who's your favourite yeah. and what was your what was your best interview um okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about one that appears on my new podcast how about that <laughs> uh, and it was with Scarlett Johansson Ooh. what a surprise <laughs> she's yeah. quite a big celeb that's quite cool she, yeah she's quite a big and the thing is, you get in real life, you get maybe 15 minutes with a Hollywood superstar. Mm. That's about all you get. And usually, you know, it's in a neutral room in the company of a publicist or two. And you have prearranged questions and you don't get to say very much beyond that. And there's no sense of connection. And that is one of the themes of this, really, that you know, how do you get past that to feel a sense of connection with somebody? I went off to New York to interview Scarlett and I got this message, Scarlett will meet you in the lobby of the Carlisle Hotel. And we sat down and we started to talk and I kept thinking, 
okay, where's the publicist? And I kept looking at my watch and it went on for the best part of two hours, that interview. Oh. And it was just the two of us and, it, and we were just drinking in this bar talking about life and we pretty soon got beyond the questions about her new film and started to talk about her actual life. And, and all the time I kept thinking, what is going on here? Right. Couldn't believe your luck, basically, right? <laughs> well, yeah. And then there's this kind of vain male chimp thing going on in my head. <laughs> Fancies me. Hey. I'm, yes, yeah. I'm in it. Yes, yeah, Scarlett. Scarlett, <laughs> Scarlett is staying in this room now because she I really she likes me. I bet it you was know. your accent. Uh, yeah, yeah they think? love the British accent. Um, they love <laughs> yeah. a bit of that. Although she can do it very well. So oh, maybe, maybe, oh, in that case, maybe, maybe she was just using uh, you to brush up yeah. her skills. Well, I know what the answer is in the end. But at the time, I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, I'm in here. Exactly as you say. <laughs> All that stuff is chattering away at the back of my mind. You know, I know that there's at least one person on this panel today who understands the power of vanity. <laughs> so um, that was that was going on in the back of my head. And and I sat there and I enjoyed it very much. And at the end of it, we, you know, she said, oh, that was lovely. And we had a little a hug and she went off I thought wow the next morning I wake up and all over the international media is the story Scarlett Johansson's marriage is over oh gosh right? uh, she had been photographed on the way to our meeting not wearing her wedding ring wow. right and I got an email from my boss saying what did you do <laughs> she really did like you then <laughs> yeah yeah as if you know as if as if somehow you know she'd met me and realised that it. you know this this is the definition of, of humanity you know this is the person I need to be with forever and she'd immediately ditched her husband right that's not quite what happened i have to tell you um and what i think it was and i and i write i talk about this in in the first episode of the of the podcast what i think was happening was that you know she was having a pretty awful mm. day and she accidentally found herself in a kind of quiet private space with somebody she didn't know but who may have like you know appeared a bit sort of sympathetic because often that happens in an interview that you feel a bit sympathetic you know and in a way, sort of uh, felt that she had the space just to hide away for a bit for a couple of hours, you know, just to put it all, all away and just be herself in that moment. I have to say that she did not at any point tell me that her relationship mm. was over. And I asked about it several times and she completely gave me the opposite impression. So here's the big reveal. Scarlett Johansson is an amazing actress, mm. right? And that, that's, <laughs> that's, who knew? But I, do, but I do think that she just took the time out, sort of seized the moment to just go, I don't need to go back to all that for a moment. I can just chat with this bloke. So that was a real moment you got her at. And she, she, she was in a film, wasn't she, about a marriage breakup, which was supposed to be based on that oh, was, or informed yeah. by that. I can't remember. I've seen the film. It's very good. It's quite harrowing. Um, it's quite yeah. real. Was, yeah, I can't remember what it's but, called. It was after that, yeah. Yes, and I think it was partly informed by her experience. I don't think it was informed by her experience of meeting me. No, I don't remember me, the sympathetic like British it. journalist in a bar kind of like um, no. I don't remember that scene maybe they cut that from the edit most, most the pity <laughs> so that was your best interview and best favourite well, both the, I mean no not my favourite but certainly mm. one that is uh, certainly one that's at the forefront yeah, of mine, yeah. my mind because I've just recorded it for <laughs> the podcast cool. but also what's your podcast called oh thank you for asking Charlie <laughs> it's called can, can we talk with a question mark and oh, uh, I think I already subscribed to that one and the answer is yes, yes we, we can, can. <laughs> yeah, I think um, and it's it's true stories about encounters with remarkable people famous infamous and extraordinary and what they've taught me about how to be a better human, how to live, and how to do this thing of connecting with each other and ourselves and the natural world and the divine. Which yeah. So series one, 
Series 1 comes out on February the 8th, and I'll tell mm-hmm. you who's in it so you get some idea. Um, first two are Scarlett Johansson and Tiger Woods. Then it's Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. Then it's The Queen and... Um, Charlie Beginsky. You're, <laughs> you're season 27. Uh, then it's uh, Zara, who came across the channel on a, on a rubber dinghy on uh, Christmas wow. Day. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's, that's who's in wow. it. Wow. Okay, well, we'll definitely look out for that. So Rebecca's already subscribed. I, the rest excellent. of us will all be subscribing after the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll find it hot of faith for putting it out. Well, we're looking forward to it. I took my mum to see The Queen. That was nice. So how long did you interview the Queen for? Well, I didn't. I said encounters with remarkable people. So you didn't have her in a bath two hours, so to speak. No, I, <laughs> so to Sorry, heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. so that's, so that's series five of the Crown. Um, no, I don't, no, I, I didn't. But I did. I did get to meet her because I'd I'd spent the night. I was the first person in five hundred years to spend the, n- spend the night at the Tower of London in the cell where Thomas More was held the night before he was what killed. What was that like? Yeah, um, spooky. spooky. Did you sleep well? Spooky. Or yeah. Were you just like? I didn't no, sleep I at all. Gonna, I, I, I didn't would. sleep at all. And I had some kind of experience with something did in the really? room. Did you really? Yeah. Seriously? Mm, I did. Yeah. Was it him? Do you think it was Tom Small? Yeah. No, I don't think it was him. Um, and I'm not even, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a true believer with, with those things. So I was sceptical, but I, I, had a, I had such a strong sense that there was a presence in the room with me that even when I turned the light on, uh, you know, I, uh, to be honest with you, Rebecca, I spent some time talking to it. Wow! Like, like, no, it was a one-way conversation, but there, but it was so powerful in the moment that I felt that I had to say something about why I was there. And when I tried to, to before I sort of realised that, when I tried to go to sleep, got in my sleeping bag, my body had all those alarm signals going on. My brain wanted to go to sleep, but my body was going, you know, like as if there was a fire mm. in the room, saying, you cannot mm. go to sleep, you've got to get up. So I don't really understand what went on there, but, but I do know that it was a powerful experience. And I also know that General Sir Richard Dannett, who used to be the head of the British Army, who, who lived in the Tower of London at the time, had said to me, look, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't spend the night in that room. Um, and he, he said, look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when the dawn comes, you can come and stay in my spare room because you don't want to be in there any longer than you need to be. And uh, yeah, so I didn't sleep at all. And, I, and something happened. So just give that some context. What, wh- why? Mm. Why what? Well, why did I do it? Yeah, like for... Well, because, I mean, this leads into why, why I met the Queen. Um, and happily, this is another story in <laughs> Can We Talk, the podcast. Um, but um, basically, I was working for the Telegraph at the time, and they were doing a restoration of the chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula, uh, St. Peter in Chains, in the Tower. And they wanted some publicity for that. And so they came to me and said, would you write about it? And I said, well, that's a bit... That's a bit boring really isn't it is there anything i can do that would make it a little bit more interesting like spending the night in the tower and uh, general sir richard said yeah all right go on then i wouldn't but you can if you want to so that's how i did it and then it raised quite a bit of money for the restoration through the telegraph and so when the when the chapel was then restored and uh, and reopened and this is the chapel where Anne Boleyn and many of the others are, are buried um they invited me to the to the reopening, which was how come uh, I took my mum and it was how come there were maybe 40 or 50 people in the room and there was the Queen and Prince Philip. Um, and we, my mum spoke to Prince Philip. Actually, he came along the line and he said, uh, is this your mum? 
<laughs> and I said, yes, mother, probably. Is this your mother? And I said, yes, this is my mother, mother sir. And he said, couldn't you think of anywhere better to take her? <laughs> I don't, I don't know the line we go. Uh, and, but the, but, the, but the, the most delicious moment of all is that you're, you're in this chapel, maybe, as I say, 40 or 50 people, and I was just like two or three rows back from the Queen who was sitting at a side angle. And then at the end of the service, or the, or the beginning, I can't remember, we all stand up and we sing God Save the Queen to the Queen who is sitting there. Uh, and, and honestly, she was sitting there with her hands clasped on her lap and she was nodding like a Muppet. You know, like the Muppets nod? <laughs> when they, like that. She was just nodding away like a Muppet as we all sang God Save the Queen. Yeah, God Save Me. <laughs> well, of course. Yes. Why wouldn't they be singing this? Of course. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So there you and go. Had you ever had, sorry, going back to the supernatural experience or whatever it was you had, had mm. you ever had mm. anything similar before or since? Or was that a one off for you? I have had supernatural experiences, mm. yeah. I mean, supernatural experiences were part of what drove, brought me deeper into the church in the beginning. Uh, whether or not they were what I thought they were, were at the time, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, I, 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 my, my attitude to them these days is to try and write and talk about them as honestly as possible without really subscribing to any specific explanations of what they were. I'm, I'm just kind of I'm intrigued by them. So, yeah, so I have had... Um, I suppose you want to hear about one, don't yeah, you? Yeah, go on, then, as soon as you asked. Okay, so a bit of context. There was this thing that we used to do when we were young, evangelical, charismatic Christians where we would pray for an answer to something and then a Bible verse would come in our heads and we'd write it down and then whatever it said was the answer to what we were praying about, okay? <sighs> yeah, it's problematic. Oh, it's all problematic. There's so much of that period that is problematic. I'm not saying there isn't, but that's, that's one of the things that we used to do. Now, I was writing in Is God Still an Englishman? I was writing a chapter about angels mm -hmm. uh, and I came across this wonderful piece of work by Emma Heathcote Amory, I think her name is, who had done a master's based on um, doing a proper research into, into first-person accounts of angel sightings across Britain. So it's, a, it's an incredible book, and it takes a very academic, dispassionate view of what people were saying. It's a kind of sociological book. Um, and I was writing about that, and I was feeling really kind of cynical about it, and I was taking the piss a bit, really, frankly, in what I was writing. And then as part of that, I thought, oh, I'll do that thing that we used to do just for a laugh, and then I can write about how you know, what a, what a strange and pointless thing it was. And so I, I started, I often doodle while I'm writing, and I started to doodle this angel with its head bowed, and then I started to write down Bible verses. And at this point, I'm not a believer, right, when I'm doing this. Is I'm this not a believer, after really. then or before? This, this, this is, is this is 10 years ago. Like, this is, so I've you've lost, left I've behind lost, the lost, whole sort of evangelical... A long like, time, right, okay. a long time. A good, a good, a good 10 or okay. 15 years it goes in between and i've moved into this post-church space of being open to wisdoms from all traditions and paths and beliefs but at the same time as in knowing that the way i came into faith was through christianity so that's what i have to think about explore deal with i have to i have to come to terms with the fact that that's the tradition i inherited and 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 see what it is that i want to make of that tradition mm. or or go mm. past it so so 
you know, at this point, I'm a long way removed from all of that behavior. And I'm really doing this to think, to, to sort of, so that I've got some material to write in my book about how ridiculous it all used to be. And I write down these verses and I think, right, let's have a look. And the first one comes up. I wish I could quote them to you now, but I can't. But the first one comes up. It's the, it's the uh, verse, I think, in the New Testament that says, don't presume to teach because people who teach are more severely judged. Right. And then the second one was kind of obliquely relevant. And the third one was, I think, from Revelation. And it said, I speak with the tongues of 10,000 angels. At this point, I was getting a bit freaked out. You know, I was because I couldn't have done that even if I tried. Mm. And then I had this feeling, a really tangible, physical feeling of it was like somebody was standing behind me. If I was to stand behind you and I was to wrap, put my arms around you, but not quite touch you, you know, you get that sense of physical presence, but not quite touching. And you'd get kind of, well, I don't know, you might be horrified, but you also might get the shivers, right? Because somebody was that close to almost breathing down your neck. And I felt that for a good 10 minutes. I could almost like, couldn't really move in that in that moment and then it gradually subsided it wasn't like the thing in the tower it wasn't malevolent Mm -hmm. and it wasn't judgmental but it wasn't kind either it it just was what Mm. it was i will be what i will be well precisely yeah anyway so i you know now i'm not i'm not going to tell you that that was an angel visiting me i'm just going to describe what happened in the room and try and share it with other people and see what other people think mm. about it, you know, because that's what, that's what I do these days, you know. It's, I don't want to give it a name and a creed and pin it down and tell you how you should live your life on the basis of what I think of my experience. I, I'm, I'm done with all that. I want to just say, look, this seems true to me. What do you think? I think this is a really interesting area of how religion, in my mind, has to adapt and adopt. In the past, it was always religion preached the way, and that still happens, but mm. I feel that people are more questioning now are not just going to believe it because it's said it will be fascinating to see in the future how which religions will adapt to that new way of proof or reasoning um rather than just outright i say it's this so you have to accept it Mm. i think it's super tough when you sit there and you read some religious text and you're like but that's not right (laughs) how do you how do you justify things that are not right yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, Leo, that that is why I felt instantly at home at the biennial. Mm. I because I felt there were people okay. in liberal Judaism who were coming from a very similar place. You know, who who were aware. I mean, I'm presuming to talk f- <laughs> for you now, but were pre- were aware of the tradition that they were born into and trying to make sense of it and trying to understand how it related to their lives in the modern in the modern world, but also being open to talking about it and questioning and you know almost the kind of opposite of the closed traditions that i got into as a teenager and in my in my 20s yeah and that's it i've I've had this discussion before about the fact that sometimes when you look at evolution people draw evolution as to say that you know on the right hand side you know this is the current this is man now and it's like it's almost like it's at the end end of the page as in we're here and my view is always that actually if you draw that map correctly where we are at the moment is somewhere in the middle and there's a lot to go in ahead of us we don't know where they're going and religion in particular is like a lot of it's like well that's the way we've done it and i think bringing even to today in the last 
two years, what's happened is that certain religions and certain things have adopted and changed and completely changed fundamental ways of doing things. I was on the phone yesterday with one synagogue and it was like at the beginning of lockdown, they were talking about doing streaming and they just did it and they wanted to spend the minimum amount of money just to get going. And now they're sitting there going, this is a fundamental part of our delivery Mm. and that's going to not, well, it will change. To say it won't change is wrong because it will adapt and it will adopt, Mm. but things are going to change. And you must see this, Cole, Mm. that break from people who are saying, well, that's the way we've done it in the past and we should always do it that way to that isn't the way the kids of the future (laughs) are going to do it. Or the kids of the present. I mean, having having been a a reporter on religion and then keeping in touch with that world over the last 20, 25 years, I've seen that happen for institutional religions of various kinds, that they have responded to the ambiguity around them by... By wanting to become more and more certain, more and more strident, more and more defined, while the community around them is rejecting that, is saying that's not who we are anymore. We're not there. I mean, you know, I, I, on, on a kind of state religion world, there is no better example of that than the Church of England, which is almost over, if, effectively, in terms of what it was as an institution. It's got the remnants of its kind of legal powers and privileges, but in terms of a, a priest in every parish, it's really struggling to do that, and it's almost done. And yet there are there are people within that institution who keep saying that the reason the way to save it is just to be more and more mm-hmm. strident more and more certain more and more clear completely missing the point really which is the rest of us meanwhile are all talking yeah. about this there's something in that religion is the bridge between two parts of ourselves right mm. so if you're living with and able to live in a sense of ambiguity then an ambiguous religion is comfortable but if mm. you if everything around you that ambiguity becomes is is failing you then certainty is imperative and mm. you know i think about the moments where religion's been particularly significant for you it's been also the bridge between two worlds right it's mm. been it's something that's transported you between two parts we're all kind of searching for some sort of wholeness and religion fits in the bit that brings those or should in the uh, fit um and sometimes mm. that puzzle piece fits and sometimes it doesn't but it seems mm. to seek you out in those moments of transition or brokenness which should in itself mm. be the function of religion or institution I mean I, I think I think that's right I think there's uh, there's also an element of once you've seen something you can't unsee it I mean I, the way I would put it is uh, as an analogy you know that there is this kind of music playing in the background of everything and once you've heard it you can't unhear it but you, you were talking about certainty earlier it's certainly true that as a teenager and in my early 20s growing up under the shadow of the bomb you know with all of the insecurities of being a teenager and a pretty messy life the church offered me security and certainty and I embraced it fully because I felt safe that was where I wanted to be because they were telling me what to think here are your answers this is what you do this is what the conclusion will be and I have to tell you almost every day of my life I am nostalgic for that sense of certainty it's a lot more comfortable but it isn't true mm. in my in, in my lived out experience the, the things that I was telling myself in order to feel safe and secure didn't match up with my experience of the world and how things are and, and and who we are and so I couldn't continue with it but I certainly see the appeal of 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 certainty absolutely it's just unfortunate that it's not true no and I think Judaism has always been a religion 
always such a generalization but for me my experience of Judaism has been always as a religion of ambiguity right and so the rituals deal with the liminal but the actual belief system is so ambiguous and that kind of multi-vocality multi-truth multi-narrative is so embedded into our tradition Um, and maybe that's why the rituals are so strong because they're the things that take us from place to place and provide the certainty but the actual belief is just you know you're constantly finding yourself in it Mm. so the experience i've had sort of coming to judaism later in life um and having my sort of non-religious friends sort of go what do you mean you've joined a synagogue what do you mean you're part of a community i didn't think you believed in god and i'm like well i don't know that i do i don't know what that is and what that means but that doesn't stop me you know embracing the identity and embracing the community and the jewish life and the rituals and everything that charlie's referred to no no i mean you make a good point and and similarly you know i attend occasionally um, um, a Methodist URC congregation led by a friend of mine and and I'm not entirely sure that I believe most of what is said in that room but I need mm. a community I need a bunch of people to be with um, I, I need to, something to measure myself against in a way but also I need and you know they're good people they're, they're good people who are looking for some kind of sense of meaning and community and rituals rituals I think are so important as well and ritual yeah. and ritual yeah but is, is that more morality over religion is, no, is the morality the key if you want to be specific about that group of people one of the reasons that i'm drawn to them just now is that they will shortly be the first people in my town which is a conservative town to offer same-sex marriages right and so i I I want to there you are and i want to support that so uh, there is a moral dimension to it and i think that's you're right that's correct leo you wanted one of those there's one (laughs) uh you know that is that is correct but on the other hand that for me it's more about community and it's and that the approach where we're saying look we we can argue about this we can talk about this we can speculate about this we can share our experience we can challenge each other uh, and we will take every experience seriously i found that when i came to the biennial i found that in liberal judaism i find that among my for example the green belt festival that i go to i find it there which is kind of multi-faith i know i found it among friends who are in islam i found it among friends who are hindus and and friends who are pagans and friends who have no affiliation at all i'm looking for those people of goodwill who we can have this experience with those are what i want to be my people and sometimes you find it in religious congregations and sometimes you don't sometimes you find the opposite but you know you might as well look there as anywhere else we just need to be doing that so much more just generally you know across faith groups as well and actually we need to be doing that politically don't we we need to really encourage people of different political beliefs to be starting to talk to each other we need to learn how to talk actually Mm. i mean i think that's (laughs) come back to coles we need to learn how to talk because there's nothing wrong with disagreeing Mm. actually and for me there's a creativity in that and and for me there's a there's there's something godlike living in the in the tension but we need to learn how to have those conversations. I wish there was a podcast written by me coming out on February the 8th by Hod of Faith about that <laughs> called Can We Talk? I wish. I wish. Well, talking of podcasts, that's a great place. One of the things, Carl, that we share on this podcast is uh, what we've been watching, what we've been listening ah. to. Um, and uh, do you want to kick us off? What, what's on your... Yeah. Uh, on your playlist apart from <laughs> on the 8th <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry it's shameless I'm not going to do that anymore <laughs> on our faith <laughs> I'm not going to do that anymore okay so what I'm watching well, I'm, I'm watching have you seen Ted Lasso yet I haven't yes. but I yes. have heard okay. it's good 
I th- I I genuinely think that it is one of the finest things ever made on television. The warmest and the wittiest and the wisest and the most beautiful oh, and among okay, the funniest. You've sold it to me. It's about it's about an American football coach who gets hired to take over a struggling British uh, English Premiership team because the owner wants to demolish the team, and so she wants everyone to fail. And he comes in and he slowly wins over everybody with his personality. And there's a, there's a lot of kind of folksy stuff going on, but it's very funny and very warm and very perceptive, and it's just like a great big comic hug. And I love where, it to where bits. Is, where can you find Cheers it? What, what channel is it on, or what? Apple TV. Okay. Yeah. It's Apple TV. Rebecca, what are you watching? What's on your Well, uh, I'm still really obsessed with Succession, but I think that's a third episode oh, now too. that I've talked about it. So we won't go on about that anymore. But I personally just think it's getting better and better every episode. I mean, it's definitely not a wig warm hug. No, it and definitely, it's definitely isn't. It's quite the opposite, good. but I think it is just getting better and better. How do you get past that, Rebecca? Because I started to watch Succession and I really hated everybody yeah. in it. But that's the enjoyment. You have to lose yourself to the... to the. It, it's, it's, you're not watching it to be... To re- like to be in your world you're watching it to be I mean I think beyond the fact that it is I mean it's great production value you know it's great production value it's great editing it's great acting it's all of that I think from the point of view of the characters and I've lots of people have said the same thing to me but I hate the characters they do become I don't want to say that they become nice characters and they become transformed humans they don't at all but I think the longer the episode the longer the series goes on the more you start to understand exactly how these the kids in particular obviously young adults but how they became like they are because of the really malevolent influence of the father of the patriarch of the family and you actually do start developing sympathy for them because you can just see how desperate they all are just to be his number one and just for him to love them and it, it, you you become sympathetic they don't become sympathetic characters but you become sympathetic to them and that's I true. really I just think, think the way that that true. is playing out now in the third series every episode I'm feeling for them more and more You've got to you've got to give it the time though. You've got to give it the patience because yeah, the first few episodes you're like they're just a bunch of wankers. <laughs> it was my COVID binge watch, so that's how I did it. And Leo, what are you what are you uh, watching? So two things. Uh, first of all, I went to the theatre last week and I saw Moulin Rouge, um, oh, and it was brilliant. It was film. an absolutely outstanding production. How does it compare to the film? Uh, very similar, very different. Mm. How can I say that? Um, uh, they. Does it do it justice? Sounds like it does. They packed 76 songs into the theatre and and have updated a number of them. And it's just fabulous how they've done it. Really, really good. So they've mixed it up and you feel... As as you're watching it, uh, the audience gets involved because they suddenly start playing something that you weren't expecting because it wasn't in the film and they just did it in a really really good way and actually some of the bits which were quite weak in the film have been improved um in the theater and it's a really good uh, experience and then on tv uh, i finally finished sex education and i've just started watching never have i ever isn't that a drinking um, game and <laughs> the, yeah it's sort of it's sort of the first episode was quite weak and I thought I'm not going to watch this I was watching it with Jess and then uh, we started watching I watched the second episode and beyond and it's very very good uh, it's it's set in America school kids um, it's just quite a good fun uh, half hour program I'm going to check it out 
Wow, lots of uh, recommendations. I'm I'm in the midst of MasterChef at the moment. Um, thank you for listening, and um, particular big, massive, lovely thanks to the quite mm. wonderful, quite lovely Carl Morton. And we listen, yeah. look forward to listening to your podcast uh, very soon. Yeah, thanks, Carl. It's been really interesting oh, chatting with my you. My absolute joy, absolute joy. And thank you too to my co-hosts to leo mindell and to rebecca leo if people want to follow you where can they find you so they can find me as wfc kigo on twitter they can find me as leo mindell on facebook and various other places um and just being very busy doing different things and rebecca uh, i am at our singerman on twitter um i also run the kingston lib shawl twitter account which is uh the better one to follow because it's less ranty and if you want to see poachers photos of my garden it's rebecca singham and knight on instagram and cole where can they find you oh well you can find me uh colemorton.com c-o-l-e-m-o-r-e-t-o-n uh or cole morton on instagram twitter facebook and probably a street corner near you <laughs> and a podcast with a placard <laughs> yeah eat less eat less fish yeah <laughs> And you can find me at Rab Charlie on Twitter and that will send you in the direction of all things liberal and Jewish. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.